Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. I'm Alex. If you guys don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm going to be preaching for the month of February. Um, The plan is that Greg is going to be taking the month off. I say that's the plan because um, there might be a little wrench thrown in there just from some stuff that's happened in my life uh, over the last week. But the plan is that I'm going to be here for all of February. And Greg's going to get a nice break. Um, So you got me for the month of February. So um, thank you guys for showing up and being here. It really does mean a lot. Um, normally, our mode of preaching at Southside is a, is a slow stroll through a book in the Bible. And we've, um, we've gone through Mark. Uh, we've gone through um, 1 Thessalonians. We did the Sermon on the Mount over a long period, and then we just finished Ephesians. Um, so that's normally how we preach. And that's the way that I feel most comfortable preaching, I would say, um, preaching through a book in the Bible. But over this month... I'm going to stretch my preaching legs a little bit, and um, I'm really thankful that I'm going to be able to um, talk about something that I've been passionate about for a while. Um, So it's going to be more of a topical series in February, Um, but the series is all about God's plan for redemption, but not just in our world in general, Um, but I want to talk about God's plan for redemption to your specific world to where you are every single day, to where you live, to where you work, to your own life. And so that's going to be what we're talking about over the month of February, God's plan for redemption in your world. And I think there are some key things that um, we're going to talk about over this month that are, are going to help us to be a fruitful church in the redemption of the world around us, um, specific to where we are. And so this week... Today, we are going to talk about the foundation of humanity. And then next week, and I'll just give you a little snapshot here. Next week, we're going to talk about uh, our divine purpose, humanity's divine purpose. What's the, the greatest good? What's the best thing we can be and do? And then to finish out the month, we're going to talk about what went wrong. And um, I just flipped through my Bible there. What went wrong? And then, um, then we're going to finish the month um, with a statement that I championed when I was a youth pastor. And um, it's this. All things are reconciled back to God by the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And so that's where we're going to get to. That everything, all things, and all people, and all situations, and all scenarios are reconciled back to God by the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf. So that's a snapshot of February. Thanks for being here. Um, Our church wants to be described as a place where people are kingdom-minded. That's what we want to be described as. A place that has people who see beyond the temporary and we surround ourselves by the eternal. That we can have eternal perspective on our lives and on the lives around us. And one of the things that happens when you have eternal perspective is things become easier in your life because, you know, hardships are are not as hard and you become less offendable of a person because 
you know that that's just temporary and there's, there's eternal uh, life with God. And so the thing that was offensive to you can be just a little less offensive. And when you have an eternal perspective, you can step out in love and enjoy to other, people's, to other people because you know that um, you cannot be offended by them rejecting you for your love and your compassion and, and your eternal perspective to them. And so we want to have eternal perspective. We don't want to just be about the temporary. We want to be kingdom-minded. And in our pursuit of this uh, kingdom-mindedness, our focus this year, uh, starting with the first week of January, was kingdom expansion, evangelism, being others-focused. And Greg led a series in the beginning of January on the gospel. Um, but this series in February is meant to help us give momentum into this kingdom um, expansion in our own life. And so, the goal is to realize, the goal is to realize that wherever you go in life, wherever you are, you are a vantage point for Jesus. That's the goal, that wherever you go, wherever you are, you are a vantage point for Jesus. That's why it's not pointless to make sure that the chairs are in a, in a row and not chaotic and they are in order because each chair is a vantage point for God. And so that's the goal, that wherever you're at, you're a vantage point for Jesus um, and the reason is because who you are affects what you do and what you believe about God and what you believe about man and what you believe about the world and existence changes how you live. And so if you believe in a really good God, in a Savior, in Jesus, then what you are and who and what you believe affects what you do. And so you become a vantage point for Him. So if we're going to have an outward living focus... Um, as a church, if we're going to be kingdom-minded people, if Southside is going to be marked by our love for others, then I think we need to start at the beginning. And so, today is all about who are we? What am I? And I don't just mean the church, but I mean human beings. Who are we? Why would we be kingdom-minded people? Why would we be others-focused what would compel someone to be selfless instead of selfish? And so our passage this morning is Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and then Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. And we encourage you um, to write in the margins of your Bible. But if you don't want to or you don't have a Bible to write in and you want to write down notes, um, we have some ushers with some, some of the, uh, with the passages for this morning. So if you do want... Um, a sheet that has Genesis 1, 1 and 26 through 27 and some other ones in there. Um, you can just raise your hand and we got Big Dave back there. Does anyone need a sheet this morning? We got a couple up here. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate you. Sweet. Awesome. <clears throat> All right. We're going to begin with Genesis 1. Verse 1, the very first sentence of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So my very first point this morning is that God created the universe and everything in it, and it was all good. God created the universe and everything in it, and it was all good. 
When Moses writes that God created the heavens and the earth, he isn't saying that God only created heaven, the heavens and the earth, but he's using a figure of speech that takes two extremes to explain that he's created everything, that he, it encompasses everything. And you hear this in weddings. It says, you know, you're standing up and you're at a ceremony and they say, for better or for worse, for sickness and in health. It's not just when they're sick and just when they're really healthy. It's all the time in between. It's, just, it's not when it's the best and it's the worst. It's for all the times in between. And so when you read that God created the heavens and the earth, what you really see is that God created everything. Everything between the heavens and the earth. And when God created the heavens and the earth and everything in between the heavens and the earth, it was all good. It was all good. God is uncreated and eternal. He always existed and will always exist. He is sufficient to Himself. He's completely independent of anything. Um, Acts 17, 24-25 shines light on the awesomeness of God and His complete independence. Paul writes this, the God or Luke writes this, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything. God is in need of nothing. He is in need of nothing. He always was and always is and always will be. And the uncreated God spoke in all of the heavens, in all of the earth, and everything in between became. This is the God of the Bible. This is Jesus that we believe on. A God of complete eternality and power who can speak and bring life. And although He is full of eternality and power and can speak and bring life, He's also full of good and mercy and love. And this God created the universe and everything in it, and it was all good. That is like key number one foundation to Christianity. That God is a good God who spoke and the world existed and He was good when He did it. You know, we have a a launching pad for who God is. So let's consider what He is. God is the highest good. God is the highest good. There are other good things in the world because God has given us good things. But all good things, anything that's good, is dependent on and derive from God. God is independent goodness. He's underived goodness. He doesn't need something to come to Him and then He becomes good. He is good in of Himself at all times. And when He created the heavens and the earth and everything else, the heavens and the universe and everything else immediately became completely dependent on God's goodness. So if we're completely dependent on God, and He is the highest good 
Then in turn, this is what this means. That God is the source and the sustainer of everything good. God is the source and the sustainer of everything good. And so, for your life to be marked by kingdom-mindedness, I think this is essential to the equation that God is the source and the sustainer of everything good. Now, I've talked about this before, but Melissa has overrun our house with plants. It's like a greenhouse in our home. And if you... Is Jesse too? Okay, and Josh said, okay, yeah. Well, guess what? I never had, I never even liked plants. I didn't even know I liked plants. But you get married and you start to like things you didn't know you liked. I really enjoy these plants. And if you come to our house in the summer, our entire porch is just full of plants. And our, the front of our, of our lawn has these amazing banana trees. And I thought they made bananas. I, actually, I did, but they don't. Banana plants. I actually asked her in the summer, when, when are the bananas going to show up? I didn't know anything, but she told me it was a banana plant. Um, Melissa has all these, all these plants, and in the winter, they come inside and fill up our home. Our living room has a chair where normally people sit, but it's just got plants at it right now. Okay? Melissa has tended these plants very well. She's split them, and she's helped them multiply, and she's put them in pots, and she gives them away, and then splits them and multiplies them again. Here's the thing. If Melissa was to leave her plants unattended, they would all die. Okay, a couple reasons. But the first most obvious reason is that I'm going to forget to water the plants. So they're definitely going to die. But the second reason is the plants are dependent. The plants are dependent. And because these plants are dependent on something outside of themselves, you have the water and the light, which are the source of her plants living But you also have Melissa, who is the sustainer of these plants. Because water isn't going to jump into a pitcher and then walk over to each plant and pour itself in. You have Melissa as the sustainer of these particular plants. And without both the activity of my wife and the resource of water and light, all of her plants would cease to exist. Melissa, in her own right, is the creator of this jungle in our home. And she is the sustainer of our jungle. She put them there. She designed them to be in a certain place. And if she doesn't walk the water over to them, the plants are going to die. But, because she is a great sustainer, my house is overrun. And it's, it's nice. It smells good. Here's the deal. Dependent things die without being sustained by something outside of itself. Dependent things die without being sustained by something outside of itself. And what we know about humankind and what I know about myself, this is the best case study as I look at my own heart, is that we are deeply dependent beings. I am not self-sustaining. One of the ways that I know this is true is that in about an hour, I'm going to be really hungry. And I can't take deep breaths and the air is going to fill my stomach. And it it plays out all different ways into how I'm deeply dependent, but I can't even have my emotions regulated for one whole day by myself. I'm completely dependent on God. My mind, 
my body, and my soul are completely dependent on God. And because human beings are dependent beings, we will depend. This is an absolute truth about your life. You will depend. For your mind, body, and soul, you will depend. You can depend on God and be flourished. Or you will depend on something else. It's just what we do. It's what we are. It's what we, what we experience. All of us have routine that we want to do. It makes us feel a certain way. We're deeply dependent beings. God is not dependent. God is self-sufficient. And He bestows His self-sufficiency to the whole universe. And He is sufficient for it all. God as the Creator is both the source and the sustainer of everything good. And human beings are completely dependent on both God the source for life and the sustainer to hold us together. This is a uniquely Christian idea. And it's important for us as we're going to be others focused. Because we have to believe that this is true. That where God is present and active, life flourishes. And where God is void, life decays and wastes away. We have to believe this, that where God is present and active, life flourishes, but where He's void, life decays and wastes away. And this is the message that we believe and the message that we proclaim that the Creator God is the source and the sustainer for everything good. I believe that my life cannot be in order without God sustaining it. And my relationship with my wife cannot be truly held together without God sustaining it. And my heart cannot be full without it being full of God. St. Augustine writes with much more simplicity and beauty for what I'm trying to say. He says this, You have made us for Yourself, and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in You. God created everything in the universe, and it was good in the universe And everything and everyone in it is restless until it finds rest in Him. If we're going to be kingdom-minded people, if we're going to be others-focused people, if we're going to be gospel-centered and gospel-forward, you know, these buzzwords, if we're going to be bold to proclaim Jesus as the King and the Lord of our life, we must first be convinced that God alone is the source and the sustainer of everything good. We must be convinced that life with God is mankind's greatest good. And it's this belief that compels us into action because when you meet someone who does not have God as their source and as their sustainer, you're going to find you're going to find someone who is on the way towards decay. And it's bold to say, but that's what we believe to be true about Jesus. That life with Him is the best, and life without Him is desolate. So that's the first thing. God, because He created everything on earth, and in the earth, and in the heavens, and all the universe, because He's the Creator, the uncreated One, He becomes the source and the sustainer for it as well. And so that's what we believe, that we must be with God. Okay, so the second thing is we're talking about 
who we are and what it means to be human, I want us to look at Genesis 1, uh, verses 26 and 27. And the second point is this, that God created human beings in His image. God created human beings in His image. Genesis 1, uh, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Human beings aren't merely created beings. Animals are merely created beings. Plants are merely created beings. But humans are set apart from all creation. We're called to rule over the animals and the plants and every living thing on earth. The Bible is clear that mankind is the premier work of God's creation. And the primary way that the Bible teaches about mankind is that we are not merely created beings, but we're created in the image and the likeness of that uncreated good God. And there's a lot of debate of what this looks like and how this is played out and what this means, but I would like to focus on the obvious, and that is this, that images are created, are built, are designed to image. Images are designed to image. We are created so that we would resemble God. As images of God, we're not God, but the reflection of God Himself. So just as a portrait, as a portrait does not fully describe the person painted, neither do we fully image God, but we resemble God. We're snapshots to the world of what God is like. I really like how uh, Piper says it. He says, images are created to set forth the reality. God is the reality. We are the image. Does anybody like basketball? I love basketball. So I'm going to be really fast on this if you don't love basketball. But there was a guy from Germany. His name was Dirk Nowitzki. And he played for the Dallas Mavericks. And he was just an absolute hooper. But his all-time like greatest uh, move, he would lean back on one leg, get his other leg in the air. He was seven foot, lean back into a, pla- into a place in a way that it was impossible to touch his shot, and he would just loop it over the defenders, and he made it at such an incredible clip. I mean, the greatest European player ever. Well, just this year, they built a statue of Dirk Nowitzki outside of the Dallas arena, and it's him leaning back like this, and it looks amazing. Here's the thing. You look at the statue, and it's not alive. It's an image, and it reminds you of the greatness of Dirk. You can go to Dallas and see that, and instantly you're like, oh man, I remember when he beat the Miami Heat in the 2011 uh, NBA Finals, the greatest NBA Finals of my life besides 2016 because LeBron lost. Anyway, (laughs) the point is, you go to Dallas, you see the statue of Dirk leaning back, and you remember who He is. We exist to show God. 
God is the reality. We are the image. And as Christians, our life is meant to be reflective of a good God. The practical application is that people are meant to look at your life. They're meant to see you. How you organize and set up your life. They're meant to interact and see how you treat other people. They're meant to be in your sphere and see how you use your resources and say, God must be great. Because we reflect and image the reality which is a good and great God. That's what it means to be an image of God. That we are reflecting greatness to the world. Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount that you are the light of the world talking to believers. But it's not that we are the ultimate light. It's that we are the derivative light of God reflected to the world. Secondly, being created in the image of God is most fully expressed in our connection back to God. So as we are created in God's image, so also are we created to be in communion with Him. The Scripture teaches this all throughout, that the best place for a human being to reside is in connection with God. And the Bible doesn't talk about plants and animals this way. He talks about human beings in this way, that we are meant to be connected back to the Creator. And so for human beings, the best place to be is in the presence of your Creator. I've got three verses that um, you can write down and look up later, but I'm going to read through them quickly. Um, Psalm 16.11 You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Exodus 33.14 If you guys know about Exodus, this is some scary times for the Israelites. And God said in Exodus 33.14 My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. 2 Corinthians 3.17 2 Corinthians 3.17 Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The best place for a human being to reside is in connection with the Creator God. The very best way to live out your image-bearing life is to be connected back to the One that you image. And what's amazing about the connection back to God and our relation to being the light of the world and kingdom-minded people is that when you are connected to God, you have the derivative light of God. And so, you reflect a good God to the world. Why is that important that we are image-bearers? If we're going to be kingdom-minded people, it's important for us because when we see others around us, we can recognize that they too are image bearers. And so they deserve dignity and love and respect as well. And so that brings me to my very last point, and it's 
that God created all human beings in His image equally. And this is, I think, the major key to our evangelism and kingdom-mindedness. That God created every human being in His, in His image equally. Verse 27, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. How are we going to be others-focused? How can our church commit to being kingdom-minded in our world? It begins with the knowledge that all human beings are created equal. God created them male and female in His image. So the first thing I'd like to point out is that men and women are created equal in God's image. Men and women are created equal in God's image. Meaning that both men and women reflect God's image in their life. The things that, if you're a man, the things that make you male are good, proper reflections of the image of God. And the things that make you a woman are good, proper reflections of the image of God. And I think that's really important because we often talk about God as being He, right? But God has the image of the female reflected as well. And so men and women both reflect God's image equally. It's really, really important for me to say this. That in God's kingdom, women are dignified. And in God's creation, women are equal. And I don't think that I need to qualify myself this morning. I just want you to know that in creation, females were created in God's image too. The second thing that I'd like to point out uh, about the equality of God's creation is that all races were created equal as well. Um, if you have the note sheet, I have Acts 17, 26 and 27 on there, but if you don't, um, this is a verse to write in your margins here for um, Genesis 1 here. It's Acts 17, 26 through 27. Talking about God who needs nothing, who created everything, he said this, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. And he made from one man every nation of mankind. So from one man, Adam, God made every nation. Every person in every nation in the world is an image of God. And it's crazy to me, it's crazy to me that Christians have a history of partiality towards particular people groups. In Revelation, we learn that people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation will be worshiping Jesus together. And so to grasp this other-mindedness, being others-focused instead of inward-focused, it's extremely important to recognize that all people were created equally. This is the Bible's answer to racism. It's that racism is from the pits of hell. 
All men and women from all races were created and established by God in His image from one man, Adam. And all men and women from all races can become children of the Creator God from one man, Jesus. Peter had an interaction in Acts chapter 10 that's just incredible. It's amazing. I would encourage you to go and read this this chapter in the Bible, Acts chapter 10, where he had to spend some time with people of a different culture than him. And he wasn't quite sure how to act around them. And he went to sleep, and the Lord uh, appeared to him in a vision and essentially said to him, Peter, what God has made clean, do not call common. What God has made clean, do not call common. And he still wasn't quite sure about it. And then he had a meeting with some men from different cultures. And it clicked to what God was saying to him. And he writes this, or he says this in Acts 10, 34 and 35. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. Truly, God shows no partiality. But instead, to those who trust Jesus, He gives adoption into the family. And so, God created all people groups in His image equally. Lastly, I want to point out that all socioeconomic backgrounds are created equally as well. In Ephesians 6, we learned about a kingdom ethic for the workplace, for the economic divide. And in the kingdom, masters and bondservants or slaves or employees are meant to treat each other exactly how they would want to be treated. And the ultimate reason is because both master and bondservant have a master in heaven named Jesus. In Ephesians 6, 9, Paul writes about Jesus, there is no partiality with Him. No partiality with Him. And in Galatians 3.28, he writes this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, nor neither slave nor, nor free. There is no male and female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Again, God shows Himself to be impartial towards His creation. Impartial towards any person in His creation. In in God's kingdom, there is no slave or free or male or female. We are all one in Christ. And so all types of people from all different backgrounds and all different jobs will be in the kingdom together feasting at the table. And so for us to be a church that's kingdom-minded, others-focused, it's extremely important to recognize that these human beings who are created in the image of God are all valuable and dignified members of society who deserve to have the connection back to Him. The Gospel gives you an outward focus to see that your Creator shows no partiality. No partiality as well. And to grasp that truth is a truth that helps us reflect the God who created you by seeing others as valuable. By giving dignity and honor to other people. So, I'm going to ask the music team to come on up. 
That's where I'm going to end this morning. That God is the highest good. He's the greatest good for any person. And all humankind is made to be connected back to Him. So any person that you see from any background is valuable. And that subtle shift in your heart will give you a heart towards the world around you. I'm going to pray. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.